The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Skipping ahead. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we're just saying that you are a good father to us, that you are a father who loves us. Some of the words echoed in Psalm 16, and it tells us a little bit of why. Because you are the one that makes known to us the path of life. Because you yourself are our good portion. You yourself are food that sustains us, gives joy to our hearts, and this is what we were made for commune with you, to set you before us, to set you in front of our eyes, and to walk with you and after you through all of our days. It's what we are made for, and thankfully, it's what you have made possible. You've given us this great inheritance, you yourself. You've given us joy. And so we want to say out loud to you, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And then we want to say right after that, would you then please help us to experience that? Something granted may not always be fully experienced, and we, we want to say thank you for providing, and then we want to ask you to press that into the daily, press it into the momentary, the places where we live our lives. Press your goodness, press your availability and your presence into our lives and use this sermon, this passage this morning towards that end. Lord, would you open up the scriptures here today and teach us from them? That's our simple prayer. Spirit of God, would you come and would you own this place and would you illumine the scripture and would you change us? Draw people to you who don't know you. Draw them with wonderful enticement that you are the source of all goodness. You are the source of all lasting joy. And you can be had by faith in Christ. Draw them with that great truth. And we who know you but wander draw us back with the same great truth. Make that more real for our experience today, please, Father. Glorify the Son in our lives. Build a church that is church that is full of gladness of heart, rejoicing in you, because we have set you before us, because we live in your presence. Make that happen today, we pray 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're not actually preaching from Psalm 16, but it catches the flavor of of what today is about as we turn our attention to Luke chapter 10. This chapter began with the extended account, Luke and Luke 10, the extended account of Jesus sending out the 72 on this mission trip to go before him to tell people of his, of his arrival and to call people into the kingdom of God. And that activity, we saw, is, is set up for us, treated extensively, set up for us as the great privilege, the activity that we are able to be about now in the kingdom. We are able to live, we are privileged to live in the time of the coming kingdom and, and privileged to be able to help build it up. And as we do that, we who are his disciples are to be a certain kind of people. We are to be ones governed by the greatest commandment. That's what God requires of us. Look at this the last two weeks. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And over the last two weeks, we've looked at that starting first with the love of neighbor, which was the point, primarily the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Emphasize love of neighbor there. And then last week, we looked back at Deuteronomy 6, where we, we drew the first part of the, of the great commandment. It's quoting from Deuteronomy 6. So we looked back there and emphasized love of God, total devotion to God. That's what's required of us, our reasonable response. When we see how he has loved us, the reasonable response, loved like that, loved with this past love and this present love and this faithful future love, the reasonable response is then to love us because he has loved, love him because he has loved us in that way. Love him with our internal thinking and feeling, our hearts, our external expressed love, souls, our beings, and to love him with all of our resources and all of our strength and might. That was last week, which brings us to our passage today, which is here, it's a familiar story of Mary and Martha, is here not because it's chronologically or geographically next. You recall he's on this journey, Jesus on this journey moving towards Jerusalem, but if we were to cross-check all the facts, we'd realize this takes place in the town of Bethany, which is very close to Jerusalem. So this should be near the end, but it's not. He didn't hop down there and then hop away. This has been rearranged because geography and chronology are not what's governing Luke's ordering. It's topic, theme. He just showed us a Samaritan to illustrate, to show us in some way what love of neighbor looks like, and here now he's pulled this story to this spot to show us something of what love of God, total devotion to God looks like. And what it doesn't quite look like. So as with the Samaritan, there's more that could be said about love of neighbor than just what we see there, and there's more that could be said about love of God than just what we see here, but there is a comparison going on in this passage. Here's what love of total devotion to God looks like, and here's what it doesn't quite look like. And that's what we're going to attend to this morning. So let me read the passage, Luke 10, verse 38 to the end of the chapter. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. 
But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's our passage from which I'm going to draw two observations. Here's the first one. As our first priority, God calls us to sit in his presence to be fed by his word. As our first priority. First, God calls us to sit in his presence to be fed by his word. This is, um, the two halves of the comparison, this is what devotion, love of God looks like, first and foremost, before it moves on, and we talked about this, it must inevitably move on, but before it moves on to be love of neighbor, first and foremost, it starts with humble, open-hearted attention to listening to God as our great desire. Before him, in his presence, to be taught, be fed with his word. Jesus and company come to town, and they are welcomed in by this woman, Martha. As it's presented, she's surely the older sister. She owns the house. She's the host. She invites him in, and she has a sister named Mary, verse 39, who sat at the Lord's feet. Pause on that and, and take that in. It's short, but there are a number of noteworthy things in that little bitty phrase. First, what's hard to see in English is the flavor, the the structure of this verb. We might be maybe more clear in English if we said, she took her seat or she sat herself. If we said it like that, we might see a little bit more of the deliberateness of what she did. She didn't just end up there. She made a conscious choice on purpose. She went and she sought out a seat at the Lord's feet. She sat herself there at his feet, which is an expression that's more figurative than literal. It's not describing, though it certainly could, but it's not intending to describe a location right around the end of his legs. It's more a figurative statement about a posture of a learner, posture of a disciple. We might say someone who is sitting beneath the teacher. That's how we would put it in English. So so we're talking about somebody who is a listener and a learner who has chosen to place herself beneath, kind of like we, we read later, Paul was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He didn't live for years at his feet. He was placed himself beneath. That's what she's done here. She has done here. We're so familiar with this story that we don't trip up on that. This is about a woman. Women don't sit at the feet of rabbis. They're not allowed to. Back in that day, women did not sit at the feet of rabbis to be taught the word of God and taught the law, taught about God. They weren't welcomed into those settings. They weren't there, but here she is. She seeks this out. She seeks out the feet of Jesus, and she's obviously welcomed in. Jesus can use a Samaritan 
as the hero of a story about love of neighbor, and he can use a woman as the hero of the story showing us what love of God looks like. Model disciple here. Women are included in Jesus' disciple world. Made the model, in fact. She is there at his feet to listen to the Lord. That's not a real common word in Luke. And when it's, when it's used there, it's trying to like bring in some additional idea, some additional thought for us. Makes us think about something. And as we follow the context through, what it's going to make us think about is the Lord, his word, and food. Here is Mary who is sought out and is eager to hear every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, which should make us think of something. That's Mary. And obviously Martha's the contrast. We'll come to her a little bit later. She's got a different path that she takes, but what's important to see for this first point is Mary and what Mary does and the appropriateness of it and more than just the appropriateness of it, the necessity of it. Verse 42. When Jesus speaks to the issue, he says, one thing is necessary. One thing must be. Mary has chosen the good portion. Not just she chose the good thing or the right thing. She chose the good portion in the context of of kitchen and food and serving. This is portion like at a meal. He's talking with the woman who was just serving up the portions in the kitchen. Mary chose the good portion. Like, if we're going to have, probably we're going to have right over there a table later set up with a bunch of desserts. And kids and me are going to go over there and are going to do this and look for the biggest piece and choose that portion to feed off of. Mary has chosen the good portion. And it will not be taken from her. Which does not mean, no, Martha, I'm not going to tell her to put that down and go into the kitchen. That's not what he means. It's still table. It's still food. It's still service, the context. The good portion, and it will not be cleared away from her. You eat up the bread that comes out of the kitchen. It's gone, and you take away the plate. And then you hunger again tomorrow. But she's chosen the portion that's never going to be cleared away. She's going to feed off of that portion forever. She will never hunger again having chosen that portion. We could think of another context where he talked about someone who would drink of water and never thirst again. She has chosen the one necessary portion. And it'll never be cleared away, but she's going to eat off of that portion and be full forever. That's her, and that's all about us, too. Everything in this story is lining up to press home this really clear point. We disciples need, first and foremost, as our top priority, we need to be Mary. We need to think like she does and pursue what she pursues and be deliberate about that, to, to, 
deliberately, consciously choose that portion. We cannot live on bread alone. But in fact, we live off of every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. All through this, that's supposed to be kind of echoing in the back of our mind, Deuteronomy 8.3. What the people of God in the wilderness did not do, we now can do. God has made a way for that to be real for us, and in fact, it must be our top priority. This is the thing that's necessary. We can and we must sit before the Lord in his presence to be fed, to be taught by him as our top priority. This is the food that will not fail you, but in fact will produce life in you forever. Yes. sure what that was, but <laughs> I'll use it as an exclamation point. So you take away, that, that I think is abundantly clear, and if you take away the, the metaphor, you take away the, the food, the feeding, the, the Old Testament illusion, what I want to do now is I want to move from that to what does that mean? What is this actually about? So I want to talk about what it's actually about and then talk about ways that we do that. Because this is where life is found, people, men and women. This is for your joy. This is for your life. He's talking about food. And we must not, to keep that analogy for just another minute, we must not ever, we can't afford to let this become, keep the food analogy, a discussion of the food triangle but never actually eat anything. Do you understand? There, you could be completely aware of, the, of various food pyramids and starve to death. We cannot do that, spiritually speaking. So, so I want to talk about not just that we are to feed off of the Word of God, but how that, what that looks like. So what, what is this about? If you strip away all the metaphor, it's about deliberately, intentionally spending time with God which will include, must include certain behaviors and certain means, more than that, but not less than that. Certain behaviors and certain means must be included. If we're talking about spending time before God to listen to, be taught his teaching, his word, that has to involve the Bible, doesn't it? Yes. This perhaps seems obvious, but check yourself on this. How much time do you spend in the Bible? Really? Engage with the Bible. How mu- and, and how much of that time is actually about the Bible? If, if you add it all up, how much of the Bible do you take in on a regular basis over a week, a month, or, or a year? If this is food, are you eating enough, are you taking enough calories? talking about listening to, listening to someone else preach perhaps, reading or, or reading somebody else teach passages from the Bible. Not just, and all devotionals are not bad, but all devotionals are not created equal. Let's be really honest. We've read a bunch of devotionals that have a verse across the top and two pages that somehow perhaps relate but are really more about the author's thoughts. And other devotionals that are great, 
They expound that passage and then press it into us. Amen to those. But somewhere or another, we've got to be engaged with the Bible, and we've got to be engaged with it personally. This is, this is how God builds people, how he builds our hearts, how he feeds us. It is his truth to us. It's given to us so that we will have his, his teaching, his instruction. We take, we take the Bible in hand and personally are quieted before it. And I put it like that because what I'm talking about could happen even in this room with a whole bunch of people sitting here. You could be, you yourself, quieted before the Word amongst 150 other people. Or perhaps you need to go into that spare bedroom in your house all by yourself. You could be processing it just as, a, as a, a very sharp, good listener, or perhaps you need to use a journal and write down things, write down your thoughts. That's fine. We have to be with the Bible, the Bible, and actually with it ourselves. Behaviors and means. But we've all done that and not actually come out the other end of it fed. So it's, it's not just behaviors and means. It's not less than that, but there's something more. We get hung up, I think, right here often. We tend to keep God and his word kind of out here in, in the realm of truths to be known, maybe discussed and figured out, but we don't actually let it in here Truths to be known and to be changed by. To be open before and changed by. And this, is, this is the important, I think, often missing piece in how we engage the Bible. It's what separates it between being facts and being food. It's so important. I want to talk about it in two different ways, but I'm essentially going to say the same thing here now twice. We take the Bible and we sit with it before God. We want to be like Mary, attending to this primary importance. We sit with the Bible before God, quieted, and we realize that this is his word to us, addressing us in our fallen condition. It's coming to people, to, to you and I. It's coming to us in our fallen condition. So it's given to say something to me, not just about them, but about me, in my, sometimes in my sin, sometimes in my weakness, or in my sorrow, or my confusion. I let it speak to me. And I become self-honest, self-aware, and carefully law-oriented. First piece here, write this down, and then mark it off to the side, because I'm going to clarify this. This is very important. We're, we're like right on a precipice here. We go really wrong, but if we don't go really wrong, we're going to go really right. We'd be law-oriented, which means that we read the Bible saying, you are addressing me in my fallen condition. I'm off. 
somehow. I'm, I'm wrong. So would you tell me what is right and what should be and how I should go? That's law-oriented. I'm looking for what should be. I'm, I'm recognizing that what should be is here, not here. Your law, your word is true, and I'm wrong. Somehow. Correct me. That's a law-oriented approach to the Bible. While not being, here's the important, not to veer off, while not being legalistic. Legalistic, legalism, is the belief that if I perform properly, if I do the right then I'll be right. I'll be okay if I, if I do good. That's the great danger. That's, that, that's a heresy. That's hopeless. It's wrong. We do not, we must protect, we must guard against ever thinking that, okay, there is what's required, there is what's right. If I do that, then I'll be in the right. No, 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 no we won't. There's, there's no hope of that. We are only good because of what God has done in Christ at the cross. But what God has done in Christ at the cross is what enables us then to look at this and say, okay, what do you require, God? Move me to follow your decrees. Not so that I can be right, but because I am right. In your eyes, I'm clean. What do you want of me, your, your, your son, your daughter, your people? So we ask, what do you want of me? And, and am I that? What, what is this showing me? What is it pointing out about my, my mistaken activities, my mistaken beliefs, my misunderstandings, my confusion about me and about you, God? What have I missed about you? What have I mistakenly called you or thought you were, doubted about you, forgotten? So it's going gonna, it's gonna to correct me in my eyes. It's going to correct him in my eyes. So I'm looking for both of those things, looking into the Word, saying, what about me and what about you? And then what about how you interact with me? How do you think of me? What have you done for me? Where, where do I see what you say is true, but then, Lord, you would show me I don't believe that. And therefore, I'm drawn away from you, drawn into following the world. So you see, all of that is, is very intent, closely examining me and my thoughts, my heart, my perspective against his word. To show me, me. To show me, him. To show me, his work for me. And if God would so open my eyes, what will come from that is correction and a future-looking hope. This is my correction onto you and onto what you have said you will do. I will believe that and follow you in this situation. That's the first way of looking at this. A more theological way, a more exact way, perhaps. Let me say it differently. Put differently... You surrender to the massage. It's very different. Same thing, differently. 
you've had this experience where the part that needs to be massaged, your shoulder, your neck, it hurts. That's why it needs to be massaged. It hurts. And when somebody starts to dig in their thumbs, you clench up and you shrink away. Because it hurts. I'll have that experience. I don't like massages that much. I have had one every now and then. I don't like that. I shrink away from it. You've got to surrender to it. And taking the word before God, what you're doing in that is, to use this way of putting it, is you're asking him to show you the tight spots, the sore spots, the tense spots. Work that out. I'm going to sit with you on that as you work it. You surrender to it. Where, Lord, I sit before the word, and I notice, as I ask him, I notice where I'm tense and where I'm anxious and where I'm troubled and where I'm proud, where I'm tempted and allured and attracted. Right there. What do you have to say to that? What would you say here in this passage? to that piece of my condition. An example of that. I often sense myself, and watch for this in yourself, I often sense myself tense. In that moment, stop and say, Father, what's going on in me? Why am I tense? What am I worried about? Ask him. Sit sit with that. Before him, what's going on in here that I feel? And what does your word say to that? What does your word say to that? And what what am I doubting there in that situation from this passage? I'm surrendering myself to his working on me And that is very foreign to us. We don't like to do that. We are more accustomed to shrinking away. And when somebody, we we deal with God often like we deal with other people. When people begin to, to press on our sore spots, we are quick to put up a wall and say, I I know the answer. Yeah, you do know the answer. So why are you so tense and sore? Because you don't believe it. You don't believe in this way, in this situation. So with, with God, your Father, you say, Lord, would you, would you, Spirit of God, would you work that into me? Would you expose what I am hooked on, what I am falsely engaged in, what I am turning away from? Show me your truth. Show me yourself. Draw me to it. We have to engage with the Bible like, like that. Either, either way you want to think about that. We, we have to engage with it in a personal, surrendered, vulnerable way. This is how he produces life in us. He actually changes us with his word. Not just at the intellectual level of 
more things to know, but at the heart level of where I believe, where, where I live and believe. You want to do this. Don't you? You want to do this. This would be, if, if you were to regularly engage with God and his word like this, in other words, if you were to sit before him to be fed by him like Mary, what would come from that would be life to you. To sit in his presence where there is fullness of joy, at his right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. To have him show to you, this is the path of life. Come, walk it with me. Have him show that to you beyond an intellectual way, but in the details of your life where all the tight spots, all the tense spots are, to work them out and cause you to walk with him. You want that. It would be life to you, and it would be remarkably honoring to him. He would become the Lord with whom you interact. He would actually be your shepherd, like a father to you. And what you would experience in that, you would experience real life that would then seep out of you. If you, if you look at the, the fruit of that kind of a relationship with God, you have great honor to him and you have great life in you and then that's what makes you a person who actually has life to give away to others as you then turn and love your neighbors yourself. You, you, you present then as a person who is feasting at a table that's never cleared away but is always refreshed. Because you are, and you are full. This would make a marvelous worshiper and a marvelous friend and witness, and it's the abundant life that you really want. So why don't we do this? Feast on this Lord always. That's the second point. It is easy to think of, and you could say easier, it is easy to think of devotion to God as doing for him instead of being with him. It is easy, maybe even for some of us easier, Think of devotion to God as doing for him rather than being with him. It's easy to get our priorities out of order. Mary chose the one thing necessary, the good portion. That's what we are supposed to see. That's commended. That's what we're supposed to be. And then there's Martha, of course. And judging by who she is, who she is throughout the New Testament, how she interacts with him, she's a disciple too. She's not against him. She's not his enemy. She's just off. She's wrong about something. So she serves here as, as a counterexample to us. Mary saw at the feet of the Lord and listened to him, and Martha, she went to the kitchen. Verse 40, there was much serving. It says literally it's much service. Much ministry. It's from the same word that, from which we get the word deacon. So there is no judgment against her activity per se. 
She's actually the host of the house, so it, it's, there's, it's appropriate, all things being equal. But the point here in this story is that all things are not equal. There's something going on in the living room. But Martha was distracted. That's what the passage says. But, clear contrast. What do we think of the contrast? Distracted passes the verdict. Distracted is a word that says one thing's going on in one place that should hold her attention, and her attention's held somewhere else. She's distracted. She's not just busy doing otherwise good things. She's distracted by otherwise good things, so much so that she doesn't even realize it. She talks to the Lord, tell my sister to come join me. Let me just kind of cut to this here. Are you like Martha? Are you like Martha? And until you stop and think about this, never realized it. Devoted to the Lord, but in the wrong way. Jesus wants to call you away from that, but notice, before I talk about how he does that, notice his tone. Verse 41, when he says, Martha, Martha, that's, that's laced in love. She's wrong, but this is not this is not a, a condemning correction. It's a correction for sure, and it's a correction intended for, her, for our good, but it is not hard, heavy, harsh. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. There's the tight spot, the tense spot. Anxious and troubled. Because you're distracted from the presence, distracted from feeding on the Lord, and instead have moved over to do other things that in your mind are necessary or critical, and you're concerned that if they don't get done, what's going to happen? And if that doesn't happen, then, then what will happen? And why am I left to do this all alone? Why is this lazy sister of mine, this is running on in her mind, she's anxious and she's troubled about many things, and she lives a thousand miles from shalom, from kingdom peace and rejoicing, there's no rest for her. There's no joy. There's no humble, hope-derived, confident smile on her. There's no life in her because she's distracted. Distracted in, into what seems like a good thing, away from, though, what would be the most important thing, the priority, the one thing necessary, spending time with the Lord. Now, there, there's some sort of providential interesting thing here that I'm preaching this while we're smelling food in the kitchen and it's 11.57. So, who, who, prepared, who prepared the food in the kitchen this morning? You know, we know some people did that. And Am I against that? Is that unimportant? No. No. Otherwise, good thing means that is otherwise good. Food needs to be prepared. It is love of others to prepare it. 
And the nursery needs to be served in. That's love of neighbor. And the preaching and the teaching needs to be done. That's love of others too, to bless them. All service, all of our spiritual gifts and all of our natural gifts are all under this category of otherwise good things that we mistakenly become convinced that's the thing. When I, when I serve, when I do, that's what devotion to the Lord looks like. And it gets secondary things become primary things, and if that happens, they become bad things. When it gets out of order and I skip past sitting in the Lord's presence to feed my soul with Him and His truth and move on to doing for Him, why do we do this? Because ever since the garden, ever since the fall, we have become convinced that my doing is what makes the world work, and it is not. He doesn't need us to do anything. Do you believe that? He doesn't need us to do anything, and he holds the whole world in his hands. Nothing's going to spin out of control if the meal doesn't get fixed and the sermon doesn't get preached. He's got it. But we are strongly inclined towards doing because it is, it is much more immediately attractive. We get a, a clear assigned task and perform deed and an attaboy in the back very often. We get a sense of accomplishment. And that contrasts with this, oh, the massage. I hate massages. To sit before the Lord and, and to listen to him, what am I going to do with that? How, what? How do I be like that? And if, if, you, if you doubt this, let me just say this. The fourth commandment. What the fourth commandment is? The Sabbath. The only one of the Ten Commandments that most Christians don't even want to keep. Slightly joking there, but only slightly. We want to honor our father and mother. We want to not steal and not lie. But we don't really want to take a few extra hours on Sunday to sit with God. Ugh. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. It was made to provide, to give you this gift every week of several extra hours with nothing else that you have to do other than go be merry. And we say, I, I, I got to have something to do. The first point, what, what I said is go with the Bible and, and go to him and sit in front of him and put your life in front of him and commune with him and find... But, Set him before you always and find gladness of heart. And I don't even know what to do with that, say most Christians. Are you more like Martha than you realized? First and foremost, devotion to the Lord says, I come and I sit before you and let you feed me. That is not the end. That is just first. That isn't the, it cannot be the end. There has to be then, love your neighbor as yourself. But what prepares me, what equips me to love my neighbor as myself is a full tank. So I have something to pour out. And the tank is filled as I feast at this table that is forever set and never cleared away. 
So I look at, at my, we look at our habits of, of sitting in God's presence and of, and of a surrendered openness and a careful examination of ourselves in the scripture and asking, what do, you, what do you have to say about me? And what do you have to say about yourself to me and your promises to me and my failures? We look at all that and we say, I don't live anywhere near feasting on the word of the Lord. And right there we say, uh-huh, only one ever did. Only one ever took constant care. This is the whole point of his temptation in the wilderness. Only one ever took constant care to live off of every word that comes from the mouth of his father. And yet he was still cut off from the presence of God. For us, so that we can walk into that and grow in that. And so that when we find ourselves as failures, what we find from him is Martha, Martha. Steve, Steve, come back, come back, come back. We don't find, sinner, you screwed it up. Oh, no, we find Martha, Martha. Come feast, come feast, come feast. I would say I exaggerate that because that's what goes through some of our minds whenever we hear anything about what God requires, whenever we see any of our failures, we immediately, that's, and that hammers us. Come back, Martha, Martha. I don't need your service. I don't. You need to serve, yes, but I don't need that from you. This isn't about me getting workers. This is about me getting your heart. About me feeding you. About me loving you in this way. And what comes out of the other end of that then is that in response to such a love, you then love me, open-hearted and vulnerable, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. We seek first him and his kingdom, and he adds to us many things, including many privileges and many assignments. But choose the good portion, brothers and sisters. Choose the good portion and feed off of that portion. It's required, but it's what you want. You won't do it perfectly. Okay. So refresh it then and come back to it. When you find you didn't do it perfectly, come back to it. And maybe, maybe start with Sunday afternoon. And maybe start by just adding a few extra minutes on how you usually read your Bible. And maybe start with a little bit of Lord what do you have to say about my heart here with this passage's truth, whatever it is you're reading? Not just the truth to know, what do you have to say about my heart with it? Start in those places. Begin to feed off of him. He'll give you a taste.
and you'll eat more and more and more. He'll keep setting that table and keep feeding you, and he'll give you life. Let me pray. Lord, would you bring out of this passage and out of this 45 minutes or an hour or whatever time we just spent here looking at this passage, would you bring out of it for your people a renewed desire to meet with you and to hear from you and to be open before you? And Father, then would you meet that renewed desire in them by your Spirit with fresh food? Would you feed them and give them life? We don't live on bread alone. But we live on every word that comes from your mouth. So teach us, feed us, grow us up and make us new. We thank you for making that possible for us for opening the way into your presence, for clearing away access to your throne. And now entice us in, please, and set the table for us when we get there. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Meet your people and grow us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.